0: We continue looking uh, this morning through the book of James. We're in, still in chapter 4. We're going to finish chapter 4 this morning, verses 13 through 17. And uh, the title of the message today is An Arrogant Disregard for God, uh, which uh, Pastor Joe pointed out just a moment ago is very timely in our society today, right? Uh, we see that going on in our society uh, today. And I think that is the main issue in our society society and in our country there's no regard for God uh, in fact most people that's out there probably protesting and and acting crazy don't even believe there is a God who would have thought that Miss Debra not here okay so I'm good um, but who would have thought that several years ago in this country that there would be no regard for God A country that says we are founded on God. In God we trust. But we have drifted from that. We have strayed from that. Um, So that's just sort of a a, a little parenthesis to introduce the message this morning. Uh, Not really what we wanted to talk about. But we see those same principles in these verses this morning. We looked in verses 1 through 10 a couple of weeks ago about the passion for self-gratification and how the people that James is writing to were only concerned to gratify themselves, to please themselves, living life on the pleasure principle without regard for anything other than what makes me happy, what makes me feel good, what I want to do. Uh, Last week in verses 11 and 12, we looked at disparaging criticism of fellow believers. They were criticizing... Within the fellowship, and I I got to thinking about this this morning as I was reading back through and jotting down a few more notes and just trying to get things kind of straight in my mind, which is hard to do most of the time. Um, As you can tell, you hear me every Sunday, right? But as I was sitting there uh, reading back through this and thinking back through this message, the thought came to my mind. I am certainly glad that James is the pastor of this church and not Kevin. Kevin. Because he's writing to a church, he's writing to believers, and he writes extensively about how they are just concerned and consumed with self, how they are talking about each other, uh, all the things that are going on in the church, and this morning we're going to see the very root of the problem, as James points it out, they have totally left God out of the equation. And folks, if we are going to be a church, and that very word church, ecclesia, means a called-out body of believers, the called-out ones. If we are going to be the called-out body of believers, the church, as it's described in the New Testament, we cannot in any way leave God out of the equation. He must be first, and He must be foremost in everything that we do, everything that we, we plan, Everything that goes on in the life of the church, if we leave God out of the equation, what have we become? A social club. Just a group of people that meet together week after week and we talk to one another and and we smile and all those kind of things that we do when we hit the holy asphalt, right? No matter what you're going through when you get here, I've said this many times, you might be fussing and arguing all the way to church, but when you hit the holy asphalt, the smiles come on, hey brother, how you today? Good to see you. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I figured I'd get an amen over here from the corner. But we drive separately. (laughs) Solves the issue, right? (laughs) Solves the issue. Yeah, I see you too. Yeah. Some of y'all might want to try that. But let's look at the text here. The general theme of the text here seems to be that of a a Christian worldview and how these people that James is writing to, believers, the church, how they've left God out of, out of their worldview, and they have a worldly worldview. Now, you would expect that outside the walls, right? You do not expect that from within uh, the church. So we can see from this passage uh, very quickly uh, the need to take God into account in everything that we plan, all the plans that we make. And so James will note four things in these, uh, verses here about planning without God at the center of one's life. And look what he says in verses 13 and 14. He says, Go to now you that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, we will continue there a year, we will buy and sell, we will get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then vanishes away so they're planning in ignorance of life they do not understand what life is all about they're making their plans now let me just say this it is not wrong to make plans I mean we all make our plans we may make them a day or two in advance weeks in advance months in advance some people that are better organized than I am but at least every morning when you get up you have some kind of plan of what you're going to do that day right uh, if you're, you're working, you know when you get to work, you've got a certain amount of stuff you've got to get done that day uh, for work, right? And so you have a plan. You might have a plan, and in, in, when you get off in the afternoon, to go somewhere to do something, or my favorite spot's my recliner. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of—we uh, make those plans. So James is not saying it is wrong to make a plan. One person said if you, you, you uh, fail to plan, you what? You plan to fail, And so there's nothing wrong with making a plan. But here he's describing a person that lives their life on a whim. Uh, They never take God into consideration. They never consult God. They never seek God. Uh, They just get up and decide, well, this is what I'm going to do. Go to now. That's the idea that it's saying. They're going today or tomorrow. They're going into a city, a certain city, and they're going to buy and sell and make a profit. What is their aim? just to make a profit. Now, there again, he's not condemning making a profit. Uh, evidently, these are some business people that he's writing to because they're going to buy, they're going to sell, uh, and so he's not condemning that at all, but it is a foolish man or woman that makes their plans on a daily basis without bathing it in prayer, without seeking God's direction uh, in their life. We must seek God. For direction, we must saturate it in prayer. And then we must do what we feel God is leading us to do. And so when we plan without a proper recognition of God, who He is, what He's trying to do in our life, we don't really understand what life is all about. What does James say? They're making all of these plans. But then in verse 14, he says, Don't you know that life is just a vapor? It's brief. It's short. It doesn't last It's just a temporal existence that we have uh, in this life. So as I said, James is not condemning their desire to go and sell, to make a profit here. He is concerned about their worldly attitude. That seems to be what's on their mind, to go and to buy and to sell, to make money. Not to go and, and do anything for God or to share anything about God. But here's what I'm going to do. And here's where I'm going to go. And all of those kind of things uh, that they're talking about here. So the point is, they have left God out of the equation. And he describes their life as a vapor. You get up in the mornings, you see a little bit of fog sometimes. Does it last all day? When the sun comes out, it's gone, isn't it? And so this is what he's talking about, the brevity of life. The writer of Proverbs in chapter 27, verse 1 said this, said, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what the next hour brings, do we? I mean, I've said this many times, you've heard it many times, we're just one heartbeat away from eternity. And we don't know. We don't know. And I'm not saying that to try to scare you. I'm just trying to point out the importance of making God central in your life. And that is what the writer here is getting at, what James is getting at. Over in Luke chapter 12, there's an interesting little parable here that you're probably familiar with uh, here that really, I think, speaks to what James is is talking about here in this passage. Look at what he says in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. And one of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. In other words, your material possessions is not what life is all about. Yes, they're nice. They're good to have, right? Uh, those kind of things. But that's not what life is all about. And then he explains it here in verses 16 through 21, what life is really all about. It says, And he spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, this is the man, thought within himself, saying, look at this, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I, I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I emphasize those personal pronouns in there 13 times. He refers to I or my or something along Those lines. This is what I will do. This is what I'm going to do with my stuff. Do you see where the emphasis is? Look what the Lord says to him in verse 20. But God said unto him, you fool, this night your soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all those things be which thou hast provided? All those things that people are putting their trust in and putting their hope in... All those worldly, earthly possessions. What's going to happen to them when you're gone? They're going to be here for somebody else to take care of. Right? Uh, The old saying is you can't take it with you. And you won't. Verse 21. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, what life is all about is putting God first and foremost. Letting Him control your life and control your actions and everything about you. And so life is short. And this is what James is saying. You know, you don't know what tomorrow might bring. How many people stepped out into eternity this morning that yesterday thought, I've got plenty of time. And here's what I'm going to do tomorrow. Uh, Now, I know there are those that, you know, terminally ill, those kind of things. And and I've been around that enough in the ministry over these 30-plus years that you know that uh, without divine intervention, without a a miracle from God, their time's going to be short, right? But what about those, uh, and I mean, if you even walk out here in our cemetery... There's no age limits. Death does not discriminate, does it? I mean, there's from all ages that's buried out there. And so we don't know. And and there again, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to upset you this morning. What I'm trying to get you to do is to understand the importance of putting God first in your life. And here is a group of people, church members. He's writing to the church. I keep reminding you of that. Because there's some, some hard stuff in here he's writing about, isn't there? And, it, and it's good to be reminded that he's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers who have these attitudes and have these actions. And so he says, what is your life? You don't even know that it's just temporary. It's a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Verse 15 he encourages us here to plan in recognition of God's sovereignty. That means God is in control, God's overall. Nothing takes God by surprise. All of this coronavirus and stuff we're dealing with, God's not surprised by that. It's not like he went, oh, what do I do now? He's got it under control. He's sovereign. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. But I know this. He is the Lord of my life. And there's nothing on this earth that I'm going to go through that's going to take him away from me. And so we need to cling to God. That's what we've talked about a couple of weeks ago when we looked at verse 7 and verse 10 of chapter 4 to submit to God, submit ourselves to God, to humble ourselves before him, cling to him, lean on him, trust him. And so here's what James says, we ought to say, this is how we should say, this is how we should live, this is how uh, our attitude should be, if the Lord wills, if it is in His divine sovereign plan, we will live, we will do this, and we will do that, we should recognize God's will. Now, now he's just described a group of people that just make their plans and they leave God out of the equation. He doesn't tell us what happens to them. He just warns us not to do that because life is short, life is temporal. But then he says, we should plan in recognition of God's will. We often ask, God, what is your will? And we kind of ask it rather flippantly. And he gives us direction and we say, well, I didn't really want to do that. <laughs> I think I'll do this. Do you think God is ever like we are as parents? You know, when your kids ask you a question and you don't give them the answer they want. And they kind of go on and do what they're going to do anyway. And you sit back and you ask yourself, why did they ask me? Been there? there? <laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> Your daddy's saying, yeah. <laughs> but you'll get there. Because they'll come to you and they'll ask you a question. What, what should I do about this? What should I do about that? And we will give them what we think is a, a, a sound response to the question. And you can see the expression on their face. Well, that's really not what I wanted to hear. That's not the answer I was looking for. And they go and do it their way anyway. And then they come back and say, "What that just messed up. And you go, "Mm," and you want to say, I told you so, (laughs) right? (laughs) Do we ever do God that way? Do we ever say, God, um, I've got this situation, I've got this problem going on, and I need your guidance, I need your direction. And we begin to read the Word, and we begin to pray, and we begin to search, and we seek, and we get an answer, and then we go, "Eh, well, that's not really what I was looking for. You ever do that? Don't answer that. But if that's what we do, then we're no better than the ones in verses 13 and 14, are we? We're going to go do it our way anyway. And I often wonder if God sits up there on His throne and He says, well, why did they ask me if they didn't want to know? Those kind of things. I don't know if He does. I, I, I kind of have a, a feeling that He doesn't act that way. Why? Because He doesn't have my little human finite mind that thinks like a human. Right? He's God, and He is in control. And so we should always know that God has the right answer, and God has the right to change our direction. Acts chapter 16 is a good example of that. The Apostle Paul. You remember the story there? The Apostle Paul wanting to go into Asia, and he's making his plans to go into Asia. And the scripture says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into Asia. And they heard this voice, it says in a vision, that Paul heard this voice over in Macedonia saying, Come over here, we need your help. And you know what Paul did? He got on a boat and he went to Macedonia. And that's where he uh, established the church at Philippi. We just studied through the book of Philippians uh, uh, on Wednesday nights. Acts chapter 16 is the founding of the church at Philippi. And you can read that there where it says that they were in the city uh, for several days. And on the Sabbath, they went down to the river and they found some women who were praying. and, And they told them about Jesus. And they came to know Christ and they established a church in that area. And the gospel went forth. Now, think about this. What if Paul had said, well, God, I know you want me to go into Macedonia, but I'm still going to Asia. Because that's where I want to go. I, I don't know this for a fact. This is just my speculation. And you can have a different opinion if you want to. But I would think this. God would send someone to Macedonia to preach the gospel. And we may or may not have ever heard of the Apostle Paul again. Just a, just a thought. Just a thought. Why would I say that? Because God's gospel is going to go forth with or without us. Right? It can't be stopped. It can't be thwarted. And the amazing thing is God chooses to use us, human instrumentality, to share his gospel. And to spread his word throughout this world. And it's an amazing thing. When you discover what God has for your life. It's a miserable thing to discover what God has for your life and not do it. Oh me. Oh me. And so James here says that we should ask, Lord, what is your will? Now, I've said this to you many, many times. And every time I think about it and study about the will of God... I'm reminded of, of Henry Blackaby's Experience in God study, and, and I don't know if you all have done that. I think some of you have. Uh, it's an excellent study. But somewhere in that material, Henry Blackaby says this. He says, we ask the wrong question when we say, God, what is your will for my life? And when I read that, I thought, huh? What, what's wrong with this guy? But then when I read his explanation, it, it clicked. He said, the right question is this. The correct question is this. God, what is your will? Because his whole thesis is that God is at work. He's always at work around us. And our job as believers is to discover where he's working and join him. Not say, okay, God, you can do your thing over there. We're going to do our thing over here. With or without you, we're going to do it. That's the same attitude that James is writing about here in verses 13 and 14. They're going to do their thing. Whether God's going to bless them or not, we're going to do it. And in verse 15, he says, we should seek God. Seek what His will is. He is sovereign. He's in control. He sees the beginning from the end. And He sees everything in between. And that... He has a plan for your life. Whether you want to believe that or not, before you were in the womb, God had a plan for your life. And you are not here by accident. You are not. And you are not insignificant in God's kingdom. And I want you to understand that. I think that is something that that some have, have led others to believe through the years. And, and I've seen some preachers do this. Well, wait, well, you're not called to preach, so you're not up here, you're down here. That's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. God has called you to a specific purpose and a specific task. And He has gifted you and equipped you to accomplish that task for His glory. Now, we're all gifted in different ways, aren't we? Some can preach, some can teach, some can play music, some can do this, some can do that. Everyone, if they are a true child of God, has at least one spiritual gift. Some have more than one. And our job as believers is to discover those gifts. The gift or gifts. To discover what God has gifted us with. And then we need to develop that gift. How do we develop that gift? We develop that gift by studying in His Word. By praying. By seeking Him. If He's called you to it, He's equipped you to do it. And I say that. And I I can't harp on it strong enough. And I've shared a little bit of this with you through the years. That for about two years, I felt God calling me to the ministry. But I said, no, I can't do that. Y'all don't know it or not, but I'm very introverted. For real. She's the extrovert. Never meets a stranger. And I'm sitting in the corner going like that. I don't... I don't, I'm, I don't take this the wrong way but it took me a long time to get used to getting up in front of people and you're like doggone you preach for an hour and a half now I can't believe that right yeah but when I first felt God call me because I always thought it would be something in the music ministry that I would be a music minister somewhere at some point or a piano player somewhere at some point And then when I felt that calling to, to preach the Word of God, it scared me to death. And I ran from it for two years. And I want to tell you, none of us were happy. And we were in church every Sunday and every Wednesday and everything else, every time the door was open. And we were on a dozen committees apiece. And doing and doing and doing. But there was a hole there because way back in there, I knew what God had called me to do and I was saying, yeah, okay, God, that's fine, but that's not what I want to do. I, I I, just can't do that. I don't like to get up in front of people. I don't like to speak. I, I just sit back and I'll play my piano and I'll just sit there and, you know, people really love it when I play the piano, Lord, and I like to do it and... They seem to enjoy it, so I'll just do that. But they got to a point in my life that nothing satisfied. And folks, I said this a few weeks ago or a month or so ago, if you are living life outside of the will of God, you'll never be happy. You'll never be content. There'll always be that something, that hole in your heart, that you're going to try to fill with one thing or another. And it's not going to satisfy. Until you submit to God. And let Him have His way. Henry, uh, William Barclay says this. He says, the true Christian way is not to be terrorized with fear and paralyzed into inaction By the uncertainty of the future. You see that's kind of where I was. When God's calling me to preach. Fear. And paralyzed into inaction. Because I don't really know. What I'm doing. You amen that probably. He says here's what the Christian should do. Commit. To commit the future and all our plans into the hands of God. Always remembering that these plans may not be within God's purpose. I disagree with that last statement. But always committing our future and all our plans into the hands of God. Right? And I'll tell you, I think I've shared this with you before, uh, a few years ago. Um, After running for two years, and and my wife, every time the invitation was given, just about every time, maybe not every time, but about 90% of the time the invitation was given, she was coming down to the altar and I don't know why, but she'd sit right over there and the piano was right over here and I'd be playing the invitation and she'd get right down there by me. I think she did that on purpose. And and she'd be praying and, and, and crying and, and all that stuff that, you know we'd get in the car to go home. I'd say, What's the matter? Nothing. What's going on? Nothing. Kind of thing. And I guess what I was looking for was affirmation. Because I knew what was going on with her. The same thing was going on with me. And so we went to bed one night, and we're laying there. And I don't know how long I had laid there. She laid there the same amount of time, though. Um, but we uh, were laying there, and, and and I said, Are you asleep? And she said, Not now. And, uh, <laughs> and I said... Uh, I think God's called me to preach. And you know what her response was? I was wondering when you were going to say that. See, God had dealt with her. And I, I she'll in this for sure. I'm a little bit stubborn. Not so loud. Not so quickly. But it's kind of like God had to beat me over the head several times to, to get my attention and to get me to realize that what i thought he was calling me to do was what he was actually calling me to do and all i had to do was say yes here i am god whatever and wherever and when i did that that peace that passes all understanding flooded my soul and i went that next next night that next afternoon and i talked to my pastor Told him what was going on, went the next Sunday, made a public surrender to the church, in front of the church, surrendered to God, not to the church, but uh, before the church. And we began to pursue the ministry. And that was in, um, sometime in the fall of 1988. I know you, I don't look that old, do I? But anyway, I was three when I went to ministry. Uh, <laughs> just messing with you, you know that's not true. But I tell you, if we make our plans without God, we're messing up. We're messing up. Oh, we can get through life. And we can have some good stuff and some nice things. I mean, there's a lot of lost people out there that have a lot nicer stuff than we do, don't they? I mean, so you can't say if you plan without God that, that you're going to fail. Well, you will. Maybe not in this life, but in the next one. Right, Because we're not here for the temporal, we're here for eternity. And eternal hell is just as long as eternal heaven. And people don't realize that. They don't take that into consideration. So, let me move on. I went a little bit too long on that. Verse 16 here is planning with boastful arrogance. And here is the whole point that James is getting to here. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Uh, Boasting here uh, has a place in the Christian life if it is directed to the correct object. Paul said, I will boast, I will glory in nothing but what? The cross of Christ. And so we can boast in that. But we can't boast in our own accomplishments, our own Uh, education, our own experiences, our own uh, whatever it might be here so that is not the case with believers, we should not boast in those kind of things here so as we said, these are most likely wealthy business people they're boasting, they're rejoicing in their own thing here, the word rejoice here, it literally means to boast or to take pride in and the word that is translated boasting here uh, simply means pride or arrogance, so what James is writing about, he sort of uses the the words here as a wordplay, to rejoice or to boast in your boastings, to be prideful in your pride. Those kind of things, that's the idea that he's getting at here. What does he say about that? It is evil. It's worldly. Ultimately, it's of the devil. And so he's telling us here that we should not have those kind of attitudes. As we've pointed out a couple of times already, we should submit to God. In 1 John 2, verse 16, John writes, The pride of life is not from the Father, but it is worldly. And when we have pride of life, pride in our accomplishments, pride in what we have done, and we leave God out of the equation, James says that is evil. It is of the world. It's of the devil. And that should have no place in the Christian's life. Listen, when we are proud of our accomplishments, uh, whether they're in the the secular workplace, uh, grandkids, I mean, we're proud of our grandkids, aren't we? We're proud of their accomplishments. There's nothing wrong with that as long as we recognize that God is the author of everything they're able to accomplish. And we give Him glory for it. And give him credit for it. But if we want to take the credit. And we want the glory. Then James says that's wrong. That's evil. It's of the devil here. So the failure to take God into account. That's the whole issue here that he's talking about. And the whole root of the problem is their arrogance. Their pride. It's an arrogant disregard for God. They have no respect for God. There are people in our society today that have no respect for God. I mean, I've, I've told you, I haven't seen it in a long, long time, but I've told you once before about the people that are pulling our parking lot and use the restroom right out here on the pavement. Now, when I was a youngin, if I even spit on the sidewalk or on the parking lot in the church my mom and dad was going to whoop my behind I saw a video the other day you may have seen it too and I think it was a church in New York that was opening their doors for worship service and this group walked in and I don't have to mention their name do I but they walked in and they tried to take over the service disrupt the service not using the best language in the world, all of those kind of things, and, and I'm sitting there watching that, not really surprised, but I'm thinking 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, that would not have happened in America. But that's where we are. That's where we are. Now, I remind you once again, James is not writing to those groups. He's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. And he's saying those attitudes should not be. Verse 17, he talks about planning without doing. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. In other words, you seek God. You know what God's will is. You know what God wants you to do. You know what the good is that you should do. But then you say, okay, well, I don't think I want to do that anyway. It's sin. It's a violation of God's will. So it's not enough to know what we ought to do. We must do it. If you do not plan to do the will of God, do not ask Him. Amen? Oh, me. It's just like the, that and I was talking about a while ago, and, and we've got some like that, right? Yeah, and you probably do too. They want to know what your opinion is, what, what they should do about something, and when you give them that opinion, they don't want to do it. They do their own thing. And this is exactly what James is saying here. You, you know what to do, but you don't do it. It is sin here. And so the good here may be acknowledging Our total dependence on God. You see, when you submit yourself to the will of God, you know what you're really doing? You're saying, God, I'm totally dependent on you. I can't do this in my own strength. I can't do this in my own power. I'm just going to surrender to you. And I'm going to submit to you. And I'm going to let you lead and guide. And I'm going to follow. Because when He goes before you, you walk in the power of Almighty God. Do you realize that? The Creator of the universe. The One who is in control of it all. And the One that knows the plans He has for you even before you were born. And His plan is not to destroy you. His plan is to prosper you. And that doesn't necessarily mean materially and financially, okay? As it's preached many, many times. But His plan is to bless you in ways you can never understand. In ways that you can't even count. That's the kind of God we serve. And when you trust Him and you follow Him, He will what? Direct your paths. Lean not on your own understanding, but trust the Lord and follow Him. We've looked at this passage I just want to share with you in closing three attitudes toward the will of God. In verses 13 and 14, in verse 16, we can ignore it. We know the will of God. We ignore it. We don't do anything about it. Uh, There's no evidence in those verses, as I've pointed out, that they even consulted God or sought God. And they just did their own thing. Verse 17, we just looked at it. The second attitude we can have is to disobey it. We know what the will of God is. We know what He's calling us to do. But yet we say no. Why do we do that? Somewhere deep down, some of us still want to be in charge, don't we? We want to have control. But do you realize even when you want to have control, you don't have control? God can take you out of here just like that. Or God can extend your life. Hezekiah prayed for an extension of life. God gave him 15 more years. That's the kind of God we serve. Or, as we look in verse 15, we can obey. So I don't know where you are today in your walk with God. I don't know what God is calling you and leading you to do. But I do know this. He's calling you and leading you to do something. And my challenge to you today. Is be obedient. No matter the cost. You remember those 12 disciples. When Jesus called them. What did he say to them? Two words. Follow me. And you know what they did? The Bible says they left all. And they followed him. And some of them experienced a a horrible death. Because Of their commitment to Christ. Being fully and totally committed to Christ. Does not mean an easy road in this life. In fact it may be more difficult. But you know what? Joy comes in the morning. And joy. And eternal life. With Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Awaits. Those who are faithful him father we thank you for the time we've had to share your word today we thank you for these that are here those that have listened through Facebook and father we pray today that we would take this challenge father we would apply it to our heart we would apply it to our life father that we would be totally and wholly committed to you father that we would submit our life to you to follow you wherever you lead And Father, we pray right now that uh, you just speak to our hearts and our lives, that you direct us, that you give us clear vision, that you give us clear direction. And Father, as we continue to navigate through this pandemic, help us as the spiritual leaders here in this place to make the best decisions and the decisions that would be in accordance to your will, Father, that through it all, we might bring glory to your name. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.